Hi, my name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 10. Congratulations! Genesis 18 through 19, Job 7 through 8, and Proverbs 2, verse 1 through 5. Genesis 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sayas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to his servants, who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set them before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah was all already very old, and Sarah passed the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at this appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about the Abraham to Abra about for Abraham what he had promised him then the Lord said the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see what they have done is bad as is as bad as the outcry that has reached me if not I will know the men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from me to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, 
If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abram spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abram said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Genesis 19. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered. We will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came from... He came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were out at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, Hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his son-in-laws thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife, of his two daughters, and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it's small. Let me flee to it, and it is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. 
That is why the town was called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day, the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's, let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family through our father. That night, they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it when she was laying down or when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, Last night, I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight, and you you go in and sleep with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went in and slept with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she laid down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. Job 7. Do not mortals have hard service on earth? Are not their days like those of hired laborers? Like a slave longing for the evening shadows, or a hired laborer waiting to be paid. So I have been allotted months of futility, and nights of misery have been assigned to me. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on, and I toss and turn until dawn. My body is clothed with worms and scabs. My skin is broken and festering. My days are swifter than a weave's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. The eyes that now sees me will see me no longer, and you will look for me, but I will be no more. As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so one who who goes down to the grave does not return. He will never come to his house again. His place will know him no more. Therefore, I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the monster of the deep that you put me under guard? When I think of my bed will comfort me and my, and my couch will ease my complaint. Even then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with the visions so that I prefer strangling and death rather than this body of mine. I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. What is mankind that you make so much of them, that you give them so much attention, that you examine them every morning and test them every moment? Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? If I have sinned, what have I done to you? You who have seen everything we do, why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offense and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. The Bilidad and Shuite replied, How long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. 
Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. But if you will seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your prosperous state. Your your beginnings will seem humble, so prosperous will your future be. Ask the former generation and find out what their ancestors learned. For we were born only yesterday and know nothing, and our days on earth are but a shadow." Will they not instruct you and tell you? Will they not bring forth words from their understanding? Can papyrus grow tall where there is no marsh? Can reeds thrive without water? While still growing and uncut, they wither more quickly than grass. Such is the destiny of all who forget God. So perishes the hope of the godless. What they trust is in fragile. What they rely on is a spider's web. They lean on the web, but it gives way. They cling to it, but it does not hold. They are like a well-watered plant in the sunshine, spreading its shoots over the garden. It entwines its roots around a pile of rocks and looks for a place among the stones. But when it is torn from its spot, that place disowns it and says, I never saw you. Surely it's like life withers away, and from the soil other plants grow. Surely God does not reject one who is blameless or strengthens the hand of evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. Your enemies will be clothed in shame and the tents of the wicked will be no more. Proverbs 2 verse 1. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands with you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure— Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This is a hard story, and it also contains adult scenarios which may not be appropriate for children, just saying that out loud. But it starts on a positive note, with the nearness of God and Isaac being promised to Abraham and Sarah. A son is promised to them within a year. Sarah, being 90 years old, struggles with the faith to believe it and then tries to hide her doubt from God. Then there are three men, but we really don't have a lot of clarity on this because it also states that Abram, standing under the tree, and Sarah, at some point, was standing in the door of the tent listening, were were before the Lord. Dr. Mackey on The Bible Project on a podcast interprets that God appears to Abraham and Sarah both under trees at the door of their tent is a scene that looks backward to Eden with the tree and forward to the tabernacle uh, with standing in the door of the tent. That's pretty cool to picture mentally and reflect on. Um, Dr. Mackey also points out how God invites Abraham to be involved in the decision about what God is doing. So the men of the Lord were walking with Abraham, and it invites a dialogue about what is going on and what God intends for Sodom and Gomorrah. We also know the role of God is to enact justice, not vengeance. Father Mike Schmitz points out that justice is a consequence, whereas vengeance is a discharging of your anger on someone else. God is not vengeful. When Abraham learns of what God intends for Sodom and Gomorrah and invites Abraham to respond, Abraham pleads or prays that God saves people in this city. Dr. Mackey points out it is one of those only stories where someone is praying for a city, which is described as having a great outcry to the Lord because of such a grievous sin. The phrase, hurt people, hurt people, comes to mind, and their cries of pain and suffering and loss, I imagine, reach the Lord's ears as they have pulled into incredible darkness and are also affected by the incredible darkness of other people. 
the Lord wants to respond with justice. Many scholars have tried to sort out what the sin was that was so egregious in Sodom and Gomorrah, and some concluded as pride, rape, lack of hospitality, homosexuality. But my question for me is, why do we not see Sodom and Gomorrah as we did God's description and desired response for humanity in Genesis 6, 5, and 7, which we already read, where the, weakness, where the wickedness of humanity was described as great and how it deeply troubled God, who, was, who responded with a flood of epic proportions, right? Yes, God promised in that story not to destroy the whole world or to destroy it with a flood. But in this case, God will use fire or sulfur and and fire to eliminate a city. But as he did in the previous story with Noah and his family, he will invite the righteous um, or on behalf of the righteous, a rescue mission. I might be wrong, but I think overthinking can sometimes look like a flashbang grenade where we stop looking at the main thing as the main thing and make lesser known and lesser clear aspects of the story the main point. So I don't know if that's just me, but I sometimes think when we're trying to figure out like a hierarchy of sins or what's the specific sin, in my brain, I'm comparing the egregiousness of the sin noted as similar to the egregiousness of the sin of humanity back in Genesis 6. And it's interesting to me that like nobody asks like, what were those sins? We just accept that it was terrible, right? So when they... So when they may not be the main point, like what's a sin, we're learning as we are reading. What God has ordered, we know whose we belong to and are learning how he wants us to live and be a blessing to others. And we reflect him and bear his name in creation. And we're learning how certain behaviors are more likely to lead to disorder, chaos, and suffering. Zooming in for a second, while Lot is being marked for rescue and perhaps described as someone who is righteous, his actions seem anything but righteous when the two angels come to see what is happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, in response to the angry mob at Lot's house who wants the angels to do God knows what with, we can only speculate Lot offers his innocent daughters to the mob and this is not what they want. None of this seems ordered and it all seems chaotic and disordered. I feel a sense of incredible stress and tension just reading it. Did you hearing it? (laughs) Instead of Lot calling on God, he tries to make the outcome of safety happen. It's self-preservation again. On his own, at the sacrifice of his own children, he wants to do something. Yikes. The angels instead, because Lot didn't call on the Lord or or the angels for help, the angels instead intercede and blind the mob so they cannot find the door. Even when Lot, his wife, and daughters hesitate to leave the city with the presence of the angels saying it's going to be destroyed, it seems like the angels almost forcibly by grabbing their hands rescue them and even granted their request to be in a town closer than the mountains so they didn't have to run so far. They were, not to- they were told not to look back and Lot's wife looked back and the consequence was death. The passage seems to insinuate that Lot and his family were shown mercy because of Abraham's righteousness and his pleading to God. It may very well not have been because of Lot and his family's righteousness. Then the passage ends with another disordered story where Lot's two daughters have relations with their father, which leads to two sons that grow up and have descendants who become the enemies of God's chosen people, the Israelites. They become the Moabites and the Ammonites, which we'll learn about later. Also note how in the story of Noah, after God's rescue mission with his family in the ark, there was also drunkenness and shamefulness between one of Noah's sons, which also leads to problems. We're seeing a pattern here. Drunkenness and non-Genesis 2 ordered sexual relationships seem to lead to more chaos and disorder. 
As Father Mike Schmidt states, and I add, sometimes even when an action isn't expressly indicated as not the right choice, the sharp contrast of that action to what God ordered in Genesis 1 and 2 and or the outcome of that choice resulting in more disorder in the story leads one to conclude that it was probably the wrong choice. The good news, God is merciful and forgiving, and he is for us and promises to restore and redeem. Our decision, do we ask for and receive, and do we respect the moral accountability and guidance of God to flourish and thrive? Do we join his rescue mission to be blessed, and in all caps, be a blessing in our heart and actions? Yes, we can come as we are, but we come for God's healing and or his transformation and we call on him for help. Or are these things just things I self-reflect on? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, we also continue to read Job's discussion with his three friends. Two more are added here today where they tell him how God is just and that Job must deserve this punishment. Even says, you know, his kids must have done something. And Job needs to think about what he did wrong. While Job's friends are defending God's justice, Father Mike Schmitz points out how they aren't really being good friends. Job, Job is most likely thinking, this is not helpful. I am righteous. I do believe God is just. But no, I do not think that I deserve this kind of suffering. We're beginning or continuing to get a clue that suffering is not always the result of a natural consequence or the result of a just punishment, um, which is in contrast to what we're seeing happen in Sodom and Gomorrah. The why we suffer question may not always have a clear answer, but the question of who will carry me through, who will go through the valley of the shadow of death, who can I trust, who can give me peace despite circumstances, God That part is clear throughout the story already. It may not be the answer we want. It may not answer our questions and satisfy our craving for understanding the answer to the why question. But if our craving for understanding outweighs our love and trust, our covenant with God, do we just make it an idol and the one thing that takes us out of alignment with him? Hmm. This continues to be something hard for me to wrestle with because I love to understand things. It's one of the reasons I made this podcast. But I have to remind myself that I do not worship my own understanding and I do not serve it. I'm not a slave to it. Understanding is meant to to be used as a vice regent daughter of the Lord to live in the blessing. He promised and be a blessing to others to participate in his rescue mission of restoration and redemption through reflecting his image and bearing his name. I had this conversation recently with my daughter about wanting. We talk about how wanting something is not inherently bad. We are made to desire and be creative. But when wanting something begins to consume us, which we notice in our posture and our thinking and behavior towards something, For example, like we get really mad when we can't have it, we can't stop thinking about it over and over, and we demand that we have it right now. Then we know the wanting is dislocated and needs to be laid down. In a similar way, understanding, in quotes, is a good thing and not inherently bad. But when we demand the answer or reject God, then the understanding has consumed us and alienated us from our place and our purpose, our sense of hope and home. We have to pin some unanswered questions and lean into our trust and hope in God creator, God the savior, and the immutable character of God on display throughout the Bible, even already. Note, sometimes, like in the case of Job, this is a process, and doubt, anger, questions are all part of of that process. God is not afraid of our anger, our hurt, our doubt, our, our frustration. The key is to bring them to him, to God. Don't try to numb these feelings. This is always a work in progress. Don't try to reject him or replace our soft hearts for a hard one or going for the right answer mode. 
While this is our choice to pull away from him, I notice that you often feel things are darker and dizzier and less clear in my experience. Lean into him even when we don't understand. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.